The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know, I promise you're in the right place because you already know you are. Extended Supply Chain is our game today, and let's see what's on the horizon. The buzz today? Can you hum a few bars? What is she talking about? Let me get started. Manufacturers, I am talking to you. Achieving sustainable product innovation requires, well, requires a lot. You know that. But great discipline. Think about it. Buckle down. Get serious. Do what you need to do. Plus, extraordinary collaboration within your company across your stakeholder community and with your customers. That is a lot. Those are three populations. you got to collaborate with all of them. Do it well and do it in a disciplined way. Why is this so important? Well, look at the landscape. We have booming global competition. You know they're out there. You need more variants of your products. You need to have faster time to market. Hurry up or somebody else will do it. You need lower costs always. And... That big looming behemoth of growing regulatory and sustainability requirements. How are you going to do it? We think you should borrow a page from the music world. A symphony, if you will, a PLM symphony of simplification, technology, automation, and agility. This is a lot. We need to break this down, and that's why we have a panel of three experts who are going to help you figure it out and give you some ways to make it happen. First up, I'm pleased to welcome back Alan F. Mendel, M-E-N-D-E-L. He's the Vice President of Strategic Consulting, Sales, and Marketing, and the co-founder of a company called LeverX. That's Cap, L-E-V-E-R, Cap X, all one word, Inc. And Alan has sent me a wonderful quote from Walt Disney. Now, come on, there's probably nobody alive who hasn't heard the word. Disney, the name Disney, but there's a man tied to it if you're very young. It was Walter Elias, known as Walt Disney, who lived from 1901 to 1966. And wow, I wonder what he'd say if he could see the digital, hyper-connected world we are living in today. He was an entrepreneur, cartoonist, animator, voice actor, and film producer, prominent in the American animation industry. Think Mickey Mouse. He and his brother Roy O. Disney co-founded the Walt Disney Company. Here's the quote Alan selected. Times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future. Alan Mendel, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you, Alan? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. You weren't at Disney World this weekend, were you, for the long Memorial Day weekend by any chance? No, unfortunately I wasn't. Okay, well, I was thought maybe in honor of the quote you gave us today. So talk to me. Are you a big follower and fan of Walt Disney? And how did you pick the quote for our topic today, Alan? 
Well, I picked this quote because I, I like the concept of keeping our eyes constantly focused on the future. And our, from our experience, has shown many companies are, unfortunately, very backward-facing. Uh, their future decisions uh, are based on past performance and past decisions. Uh, they can be mired, in many cases, in their own out-of-date processes and practices and, and quite frankly, study uh, struggle uh, to build and orchestrate the product innovation processes to to better compete and grow in their individual marketplaces. So what do you think? Was I right in my opening, Alan, when I said that it requires great discipline and this multi, multi, multi collaboration? I said it was extraordinary. I think it requires extraordinary discipline to collaborate internally, stakeholders, customers, of course, supply chain all over the place. Is this something most manufacturers get? Do they know that this is what they have to do? Well, I think they know that they have to do it, but it is hard. It's hard. Just like uh, somebody mm-hmm. who's leading an orchestra, you have to get a lot of different people to play in a harmonious way. You have, to, you have to get the best out of each individual, and you have to not be afraid of putting the second violins up first. And, and I think those are some of the challenges that many companies struggle with because they are, in some cases, mired in these old manual processes and old manual um, ways of doing business, that it it takes a lot of faith and it takes a strong leader to uh, believe that they're going to do something different and that they're going to uh, increase their relevance in the marketplace. Put the second violins up first. I like that. Thank you for going with this symphonic metaphor, Alan. I really appreciate it. That sounded beautiful, actually. Welcome, Alan. Again, welcome back. Delighted to have you on the panel. And now let's turn to our second panelist. He's new to Game Changers. It's Jeff Donahue. Let me spell his last name a little bit different than what we're used to. D-O-N-E-G-H-U-E. He's the Director of Product Life Cycle Management and Engineering Services at BUNN, B-U-N-N. And Jeff has sent me a quote from Confucius. I think somebody on one of our shows last week did. Let me just refresh your memory, y'all. Confucius, C-O-N-F-U-C-I-U-S, if you like to Google people and you thought there was an O in the second part, the third part of his name, not true. He was a Chinese teacher, an editor, a politician, and a philosopher of the spring and autumn period of Chinese history. I think we need to have uh, fall, summer, winter, and spring of American history. That would be interesting. Uh, Let's see. His uh, thoughts received official sanction and were developed into a system known as Confucianism. Here's the quote. When it is obvious that the goals cannot be reached, don't adjust the goals, adjust the action steps. Jeff Donahue, that sounds like very modern language for somebody who passed away in 479 BC. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, I'm just fine. Thanks for joining us. Are you a big follower of Confucius, I have to ask? Uh, not really. Uh, it's just a few of his quotes kind of speak to what we've had going on here and what we what I've been seeing in the industry. Okay, so tell me something. What about adjusting the action steps? Is this something you think that manufacturers should have embroidered or painted on the wall of the the head office? Sounds good uh, to me. Yeah. But what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, you know. So as as you look at the uh, you spoke to it in your intro, it, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of work. These types of things, pulling in supply chain, pulling in all the pieces of your organization to get them to collaborate and work together. It's a lot of work. When um, when your company or your your business or your customers are pushing you to a place, and it looks like the goal is unattainable. I think the, the the appropriate thing to do is to step back and not change the goal, but to look at what are our different options to get there. In, in our case here at Bunn, 
Um, the PLM landscape was giant when we first looked at it um, and looked insurmountable, but we were able to, we realized we needed to do that and we were able to back up and kind of reorganize our thoughts or we, we uh, reorganized our action steps so that we could have a series of sprints, a series of smaller projects that broke down the complexity of PLM into some manageable chunks and allowed us to uh, get some success at each sprint and then evaluate our success at the end of each sprint before moving on. So that uh, it just that quote of Confucius is just absolutely plays to what we've done here. Good. Thank you very much. Good to know that practical application. What do you think Confucius would say, Jeff, if he knew you were talking in the year 2016 on a radio show that was not wired to anything, being heard by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world in places that he probably weren't even existing when he was alive, and you were quoting him? What do you think Confucius would say? Would he blush? Would he applaud? Would he say, wow, this stuff was good? What would he say, Jeff? Well, I think he would be uh, equally as amazed as we all are at, at, at what's happened in the, you know in the last few years, specifically with connectivity and uh, the cloud and and all these all of these uh, data points. It's just amazing what's happening in, in our in our businesses and the way that they're, the data is being transformed. Thank you very much, and a pleasure to meet you, Jeff. Thank you for joining us today. And now let me introduce our third panelist, also, I believe, a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He's Brian Soper, S-O-A-P-E-R, just like it sounds, Principal in Business Development at SAP America. And Brian has sent a quote from Charles Kettering. Silly me, I didn't know who Charles Kettering was. And just in case there might be one more human being on the planet listening today who didn't, Charles Franklin Kettering lived from 1876 to 1958. And a lot of what we hold dear to us today wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. He was a founder of Delco, head of research at General Motors from 1920 to 1947. That's a heck of a long time. Uh, among his most widely used automotive developments were the electrical starting motor, leaded gasoline, in association with DuPont Chemical Company, he was responsible for the invention of Freon refrigerant for refrigeration and air conditioning systems. At DuPont, he was responsible for the development of Duco lacquers and enamels, which were the first practical colored paints for mass-produced automobiles. While working at Dayton Wright, he developed the Bug Aerial Torpedo, considered the world's first aerial. I wonder if this guy ever slept. And not only that, he led the advancement of practical lightweight two-stroke diesel engines, revolutionizing the locomotive and heavy automotive industries, and he founded the Kettering Foundation and was on the cover of Time magazine January 9, 1933. All I can say is, wow. Here's the quote that Brian has selected from Charles Kettering. If you've always done it that way, it is probably wrong. Brian Soper, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great today. Did you know all of this about Charles Kettering? Is that why you picked the quote? It is one of the reasons. Um, as an engineer in my background, uh, I highly respect for uh, all the inventions that he's been able to touch, uh, as well as I'm just a fan of quotes in general. So I get quotes sent to me every day, and uh, I pull out the ones that mean something to me, both on a personal side, which I didn't share, and then this one uh, from a business side, being an inventor and engineer myself, coming back and saying, you know, he's, he's bold in his statement here. Not only is it not optimal, but it's uh, wrong. So it was an interesting quote, and I like it. I like it, too. Now, tell me something. Is this, if a manufacturer were listening to us today, Brian, I can go around the panel and ask Alan and Jeff as well, do you think they'd say, 
Gee, I didn't know I had to do all that. Gee, you mean we've been doing it wrong? We we have to readjust. We have to look deeper. We have to get a really cohesive team together to do all this collaboration and this discipline and, and rethink our processes. Do you think this would be breaking news, Brian? I, I think the, the probably wrong is is breaking news. I think you'll find manufacturers who will look at it and say, we've always done it this way. And the majority of that probably should be fine, and then there's a portion of it that should be evaluated to see where we can tweak it to improve. And, and again, that's why I like this statement, because it, it's going to push people outside their comfort zone, even as Alan mentioned at the beginning. Change is difficult, and, and you have to walk into it with this attitude of, I can throw away all the old processes. I need to learn from them, but I need to make sure that I, I take advantage of where the world has gone and what the customers are wanting today that's very different than when these original processes were created. Thank you very much, Brian. Very thoughtful uh, answer, and thank you so much for bringing Charles Kettering to my attention. He's part of what we do, part of what we know for so many years. Alan F. Mendel, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you think this is a wake-up call for manufacturers today, or they already sort of kind of know what we're going to be talking about? I think there's some that certainly know uh, that they have to make uh, change process changes. I think, uh, personally, from my experience, it, it really stems from leadership. You, you need to have somebody in, in the leadership uh, or the management team that has faith that they can make changes, uh, make them quickly, and keep the company uh, moving forward. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges is that uh, without that leadership, without a little bit of understanding that you know you can't keep doing exactly what you're doing or more when you're trying to go back and change the processes. And uh, since many companies are managed uh, on a very tight leash on, on a three-month uh, EPS kind of uh, rating, that it's uh, there's so much pressure not to lose any of what you've got that there's really not a lot of bandwidth to go back and say, you know, we need to change. I, I would think if you get down to the middle management and even individual engineers and uh, test engineers, manufacturing people and so forth, production, they'll all agree, you know, we, there's a there's got to be a better way of doing this, um, but it's, it's finding that those companies with the leadership and the vision to, mm-hmm. to make it happen. Thank you, Ellen. And b- before I ask the same question to Jeff, I knew there was a quote in the back of my mind that was bothering me. And of course, it's Einstein's famous quote, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We all That's putting a little more harshly. Jeff Donahue, your thoughts. Are manufacturers asleep at the wheel? Are they all aware and they're going to listen to the show today and say, yeah, I know that already. Yeah, we're already doing it. They're going to say, what? What do you observe? Well, I, yeah, it's, I think it's a mix. I think you're, you're going to have some folks that believe uh, the the adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And there's a lot of truth to that. But in today's world, uh, in a lot of cases, by the time you realize you have a problem, it's too late. It's, you know, you, you have to be nimble. You have to be able to react. So I, I, I think it'll be a mix. But I, I do think there are a lot of companies that are looking to technology and PLM, these types of things, to say, how can we do this? How can we become more efficient? As, as companies grow and get uh, more mature, they start, there comes a point where you start kind of tripping over your own data, and you, you're kind of caught in the quagmire, and your, your executives, to Alan's point, the leadership should be asking, why can't we do this more efficiently? Why aren't we getting our products out the door quicker? And Thank those you. sorts of discussions lead you down the path of technology. 
Thank you very much. And now that I've exhausted all of you before we even got to what's in your cup today, it's time to circle back to Alan Mendel and ask, what's in your cup today? You've done this before, so you know the drill. We just want a little story from you, Alan, and the same from your co-panelists on what are you drinking so we can get to know you a little better, or what are you planning to drink later? Alan, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup, or what will be in it later? I'm calling from Salt Lake City, uh, up kind of in the mountains, up high, and uh, I am drinking smart water. How smart is the water? Well, I don't know, but my wife suggested it might help this morning, so... Um, <laughs> I mentioned, Alan, speaking of smart, I mentioned to somebody the other day that I was once a, a Mensa member. I guess once is forever, unless since back in the day they've changed the IQ requirements to be in Mensa. And this person said to me, at very, and I quote, uh, he was a member of the Prometheus Society. He said, and we spit on Mensa, Mensa members because there are too many of you and we're the real intellectual elites. Have you ever heard of Prometheus, Alan? Yeah. Not in that context, no. <laughs> Go look it up. It's the Prometheus Society. Apparently it exists. They take the top, unless it's a joke, 99.9997% of high intellect, and that's those are the only ones they admit, so I don't know. I haven't had an uh, IQ test since I was... Have you, do you remember your IQ test in grade school, Alan? No, I, I, I don't, and I uh, probably would be embarrassed to share it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember mine, but I know it was good. Okay, let's move on. Thank you. And Smart Water, tell your wife we appreciate that. Jeff Donahue, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? I'm calling from beautiful Springfield, uh, Illinois. Mm. And I am drinking an Arnold Palmer. And you're going to tell us what that is, yes. Yeah, that is iced tea and lemonade. And the the beauty of that is that since I work at Bun, which is a beverage dispensing manufacturer, I can walk right down the hall and mix my own fresh anytime I want. So I enjoy a nice, fresh Arnold Palmer at least once a day. Oh, that sounds good. Lucky you. You got to work in the place that sells or dispenses what you love to drink. I think that's a very good good plan for everybody's next employment. <laughs> and you know there's going to be a lot of gaps in the workforce. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. Brian Soper, where are you and what are you drinking? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. And today I'm drinking water, as I've been out here all weekend, and I've been drinking things that don't have water in them for most of the weekend. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you got a clear head for the show. By the way, I'm I'm going to make it a, a triple here for the water contingency. They don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and I have three shows today. So it's water, 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 cool, clear water, and a cool, clear glass. When I actually have a cool, clear. Not colored straw for a change because it's sunny here in New York. Yay. Uh, by the way, most of the Memorial Day parades here on Long Island were canceled because of the meteorologist's assurance we were going to have the effects of Tropical Storm Bonnie. I was here, but the Tropical Storm never arrived. So our local parade went on as planned, as did many others, but most of them canceled. And from what I know, the storm never came. So I guess super, uh, I guess Tropical Storm Bonnie faked out the meteorologist. Get your technology straight, guys. Guess what? We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers Radio. And you know when we say of the future, that's the second after I finish speaking. 
that's the future. Oh, it's already in the past. So we're speaking today with Alan F. Mendel, Jeff Donahue, Brian Soper. Great topic. We're talking about the symphony of agility and focus and doing everything you need to do, simplification, technology, and automation from the manufacturer's point of view to get it all done in the best way so you can survive and thrive in the digital economy. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your extended supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future. Our experts discuss how the extended supply supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide. The extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers. Here we are. Extended supply chain of the future is right now. So you don't want to miss the rest of this. We're starting our roundtable, and Alan F. Mendel at LeverX is helping me start with the following topic. Stop reinventing the wheel and focus on your core competence. And Alan adds, too many companies, in his humble opinion, feel the need to reinvent everything. They feel they are unique in the industry. They fail to focus on what they do best and leverage industry best practices for the rest. You are a poet, Mr. Mendel. Alan, why don't you explain this in detail for about two minutes, and then we will have Jeff and Brian chime in on your topic. Go ahead, Alan. All right. Thank you, uh, Bonnie. So we, we implement a, a product information uh, management solutions and help companies to re-engineer their processes. And what we, what we find in many cases is that we, we come up against the obstacles and that companies are, are, are happy with how they've done things. And it's not so much that they're happy at the, at the result. It's, it's just that individuals basically struggle with change. And in many cases, we, we find that as different organizations uh, take different leads of different programs, that they'll, they'll want a process that's theirs. They'll want something that they're comfortable with, that they have assurances they can, they can drive to, uh, to meet the deadlines that are set for them. And, and really what, what you find in, in reality is, is that people are paving the cow path, so to speak. They're taking manual processes, things that they've always done, and they're putting them into these systems. And they're, they're losing the advantage that both the systems can provide them, the systems and the processes and the kind of baked-in best practices, as well as industry-based practices of what's the most effective way to get your product from point A to point B and, and 
we're talking about the conceptual side of developing a product to handing over to manufacturing and getting it into your um, into your customer's hand. So what we try to try to understand and try to motivate companies is is to understand that their for instance their 22 step uh, engineering change process is really not a core competence. Um, you will will find a lot of people that are on that approval within that uh, that change process that really don't add a lot of value to the change process. They were put there over time because there was a quality issue here, there was another incident over here, and so, of course, you solve those problems by just putting more people on the approval process. But in the end result, what you do is just create a bloated process that, that, that neither fixes nor ensures that in the future you don't have the same problem. So trying to work with companies to understand how they take advantage of what are the, what's really what are industry best practices as well as where are their core competence and let's focus on processes that allow those core competences to bring the real value to their company. Thank you, Alan. Good topic to start this with. Let's turn to Jeff Donahue at Bun. Jeff, thoughts on what Alan just shared, please. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%, and, and we've seen that uh, here. I, I've been involved with some other companies as as well, so I, I mirror those those comments. Uh, what's funny is within a company, sometimes you need outside eyes, too, so sometimes you need someone else looking in at what you've got going on because you may believe as a group or as a business that what you've got going is the best possible thing um, that you could do. But it may not mirror best practice. It, it may not be, in fact, what other companies are, are doing. And there may be waste in those processes. And that's, that's what I've seen. Uh, if, you, if you go back um, a few years to, to kind of the military-style approvals that you see, Alan mentioned the, the change request process or new product development processes where you've got to have level one, level two, level three, and level four approvals for every step before you can move to the next step. Um, those types of things are at least worth looking at again and asking yourselves, is every step in this process bringing value? Are these added value steps or is there waste in this process? So I agree 100%. Jeff, before I invite uh, Brian to chime in on this, how long does this take, this review of processes and steps? Who, whose job is it? Who says, okay, we're going to give it six months, we're going to look at these and say, yeah, there's wastefulness in here or redundancy or this simply isn't working or it's just too old, it's not incorporating, let's say, analytics and forward-looking possibilities for us to know what trends are and where we need to go. Who decides that that there's waste in that? Well, someone has to kind of speak up, right? So you've got to get the attention of the right level of, of person, and you have to start talking. Uh, so the, one of the most important things in, in all of this is that groups of people within the organization need to talk. And then, then they, maybe even a grassroots effort, which is kind of what we did here, to pull data together to say, yeah, look how long it takes to get from point A to point B. Let's look at everyone that's involved. Let's map out the process and let's determine if there's waste. In other companies, you have um, maybe even a department dedicated to this that's, that's maybe you know, a, in some sort of a lean effort or Six Sigma type effort. So it just depends on the mm-hmm. company. Here it was very much a grassroots effort. 
Interesting. Thank you. And I'm, I'm looking at a quote from your notes, uh, Drucker quote, very important. I think apropos right now, you say there is nothing quite, he says, there is nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency something that should not be done at all. So I'm just pulling that up out of your notes. And I think that's, that's a good point to insert it. Brian Soper, a lot of conversation going on here. Join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, I think it's very interesting as I've worked with a lot of companies over the last 20 years. And if I had a, a nickel for every time a company said, you don't understand, we're unique and, and the standard processes and standard software won't work for us, then I'd be a very rich man. Um, going back to Alan's comments, for companies to recognize what makes them unique is, is very critical. Um, and also the items that, that don't add value to their products or maybe they're not skilled at the best is very difficult for them to recognize in the industries that I've specifically dealt with, I see companies who internally develop their own software, and we're seeing this change over the last, you know, 10 years. But companies are still out there, and and they're a manufacturing company to make cars or planes, or in the case of Jeff, you know, you're making drink dispensers and other um, complex products. But then some companies also get into, well, we want to write software because that's we want to make it so unique. Uh, for our particular processes that they start to lose focus on what they're in business to do and therefore don't look outside to say, well, where could they buy this capability versus uh, build it themselves? Um, so we're seeing that happen not only in software but in, in other industries as well. You see outsourcing of certain systems uh, by companies specifically now as we move into a very electronic-driven, software-driven mm-hmm. world. Companies are recognizing that, you know, I, I used to make a mechanical device. It now needs technical software and electronics. And maybe I'm not the best person or company to be developing those, but I can write the specifications and then subcontract that out. But I think that's really the key thing for companies to recognize is what makes them unique and what makes their products unique. And then the other items, you know, you start to look at, you know, low-cost or lower-cost alternatives. Thank you very much. Uh, Alan Mendel, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you if you have any comments on what your co-panelists just shared on your topic. No, I, th- I think we're all very much aligned. Uh, we, we actually uh, all know each other very well, and we work together. So we, it's not just idle talk. We actually uh, work with companies and, and actually uh, help convince them that where they need to make changes. And it's, uh, it's not always easy. Um, but it is rewarding. And, and let me just ask you to level set for us, Alan, before I move to some topics from Jeff's list. What size manufacturers are we talking about here? We ta- I'm, I'm looking through the notes here. Jeff's notes talk about small to mid-sized companies. Uh, are we looking at small startup manufacturers? Are we looking at the huge ones who've been around forever and ever, maybe from the days back to Kettering and, and uh, GM? Who are we talking about? Does this information apply to any specific segment or any particular geography, geographic, uh, shall we say, base of any, or is this across the board, all manufacturing? Alan? I really believe it really applies to all. Uh, I think the, some of the metrics that, that Jeff will share uh, for a mid-sized manufacturer um, show that, you know, quite frankly, the mid-sized manufacturer uh, deploying on the kind of sprint steps and, and slowly making changes can, can, can realize such clear business benefits. Um, larger companies uh, will, in, as, will alike also 
create benefits, but on a much larger scale. Okay, thank you very much. And let me turn to Jeff. As promised, Jeff, you have so many interesting topics here. Uh, we could go in two directions here, talking about business analytics becoming more necessary, using technology to improve their their visioning, their analytics, or automation. Where would you like to go? I'm going to give you the option, Jeff. Uh, well, let's talk uh, business analytics. Good. That's my favorite. So let me just read a drop here from one of your statements, and then we'll run with it. You say, project and portfolio management solutions allow project resources to enter financial planning data, resource planning data, milestones, and deliverables for their specific projects. Analysts can easily gather data from projects and portfolios, giving the business valuable insight across a multitude of business opportunities. And I think the other key word here, Jeff, besides analytics is business opportunities, the phrase, excuse me. So why don't you tell us more, Jeff? Right. So we've been uh, in, we've been on this PLM journey, if you will, for, for several years, and we, we've put in several pieces. Um, as we're pulling in those pieces, document management is a big piece of that. We've integrated our CAD system. We're also doing project and portfolio management as well. You start using the single source of the truth. You start having all of your data in one place, it starts becoming very interesting, you know, how you can pull that data, review that data, analyze that data. Um, Specifically, with my point here about project and portfolio management, um, it wasn't too many years ago that a lot of the project management solutions uh, created, you could manage a project or a couple of projects easily but they weren't necessarily easily connected to the other projects your other teams might be managing. Uh, With the solution we've implemented here, it's all in one database. We can manage projects, uh, groups of projects, portfolios of projects. Um, We can go up to the initiative level even and start managing these things before they really even become true projects here for our our folks. When we're just entering excuse me, the earliest Mm -hmm. bits of data to get a project started. Um, It's now very easy for us to input really not a lot of data, but just some key data points into each of these projects, pull in our, um, review that data, analyze that data, and um, be forward-looking instead of... um, instead of backward-looking. In the past, all of our tools were more uh, backward-looking where we would review, well, how did we do on our projects last year? How did we look over the last two years? With the newer solutions, you can pull your data together real-time, and you can also resource and capacity plan for the future. So we're successfully using the, the PPM solution to look out two, three, four years in the future to, to load up our projects, work on our budgets, work on our capacity planning to help build the business roadmap for the next several years. I, I just think that's very exciting. And I like the word exciting. Yes, we're, we're, we're very heads down. We're hunkered down here on this topic because it's serious. This is livelihoods. This is reputations. This is success of huge businesses and small businesses. And I love that you introduced the word exciting. Jeff, in your own words, what's exciting about it? I want to hear that, and then we're going to add Brian Soper to the conversation. Jeff, what well, part should manufacturers say, yes, it's okay to be excited. Business is going to get better. Where does that come? Well, it comes from, the excitement comes from, you know, you, like you say, you've got heads down, you're working, and you can see the benefits. You know, you can, you can actually see that you, we're able to do things that we couldn't do before. So for some of us, change is exciting. 
I like that. I like that attitude. Thank you. Brian Soper, do you share that sentiment of excitement in the manufacturing field if you use the right tools? Thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm passionate about the space and innovation and, and new product development. So seeing how this technology can support that as well as, quite frankly, how it's changing. So innovation and the process of innovation is very different today than it was 10 or 15 years ago. We have much more demanding customers and consumers, mm-hmm. which changes our process. So by combining your project and portfolio topic with the analytics that started it off is, is very interesting because now the process that you use to bring a product to market is very different. And orchestrating all the individuals who have to be participating in that and doing so in different ways it's like taking that symphony and saying, well, we're taking it a traditional song, but we're going to come back and play it in a, in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And then the analytics give us the ability to, you know, to use the same analogy a little further. Is mm-hmm. the sound man able to compensate on the fly? As Jeff mentioned, you know, analytics used to be focused on how do we do last quarter or how do we do on the last project? You know, it's no longer acceptable to look back. You know, you have to look at what's happening right now and start to even get into some areas where you can predict what's going to happen tomorrow. And you have to do that not on a project, but across all of the projects that are going on in a company to understand where is the best place to put your your best people or your resources or your investment dollars so that you can play the best song, right? I like that. Uh, Brian, let me ask you a question in terms of looking at get, getting insights and seeing trends. Does social media, I know it's not technical and it's not analytics, but does social media enter into this? And I'll go around the table after I start this with you, and we will come back to your notes in a few minutes. But, Brian, is social media helpful to manufacturers in terms of seeing what competitors are doing, what customers are asking for, what kinds of adaptability, agility they need in order to satisfy the demands of this, like once again, make for me? individualized product demand from customers all over the globe. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the short answer is yes. Social media is playing a huge role in, in the world of manufacturers, specifically the ones that are, are moving towards the newer thought processes and trends, which is how do I get closer to my end customer? Um, now, clearly, if that end customer is a consumer like you and I out in the marketplace, there's a tremendous amount of analytics that go through and and look at the different social media outlets and understand what, what's being said about the product or what's not being said about a product and collecting information in order to understand where should that product go next, what features are customers not using, what features do customers need. Um, there's a, a significant amount of investment in analytics in that social space, which is in turn use that analytics and that information to drive product direction. And or new products, so I think it's a it's a very big field. It's very important, um, and and I see a lot of companies doing everything they can to get that. How do I get closer to customer slash consumer in uh, in driving their their success? Thank you, thank you. I I didn't mean to. Uh push the tilt the conversation another way but we do have a series here on game changers called social selling with game changers and i thought it might be something uh, fun to interject into the conversation alan f mendel what do you think we're we're talking still about jeff's topic but also about my question concerning the importance of social media and what Je- uh, what brian so aptly introduced the idea of you need to analyze you need analytics for that social media content that's coming in alan thoughts on that 
You know, it's in, it's a very interesting concept. We in product development, we talk a lot about the voice of the customer in creating mm-hmm. new products or enhancements to the products that we we bring to market. Social media has really turned the voice of the customer uh, into such a loud, booming, uh, resonating um, theme that um, product developers can't can't ignore it anymore, right? And uh, it'd be a you know, if you if you make a misstep. Uh, this whole public shaming uh, in the mm-hmm. social media era, era has given such cloud and such uh, importance to the voice of the customer that um, that it, it, it's it's I think for many companies it, it's a struggle to understand what to do with it. Um, they they understand it. How do they manage it? How do they control it? Uh, sometimes companies will put people uh, on those social media channel, channels and try to respond to their questions, um, but it's. Uh, I don't think in the history we've had such a, a loud, loud, booming uh, voice from uh, from from actual users uh, that that not only impact the customer in making decisions, but it also impacts sales. Um, I don't know about about you, but I, I don't buy things unless I look at reviews and I see the experience that others have had with it, and I I gather a tremendous amount of insight, uh, and then and I'll honestly say that heavily changes my opinion of what products that I create or or what products I buy. Yeah, I think more and more uh, of us are doing that, Alan. Yeah, very very interesting point of view. Jeff, we have to get you in on that. Alan, I'm sorry I interrupted. I thought you were done. Uh, Jeff, thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, Social media is a a big part of manufacturing today. It's a big part of everything today. Uh, It can't be ignored. It's it's something that you have to embrace. You, You think about the the instant feedback that you can get now that you couldn't get some years ago before social media really, really took off. It it took weeks, months um, to to gather information on a product or on a, or on a company. Now it's out there all the time, you know, 24 seven instantly, you're going to know somebody's opinion about something. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very powerful for manufacturers and new product development in general. Very interesting. You're going to know something about something from somebody. Absolutely. Somebody's always going, I know. And tweeting has become so important, even in the business world. We used to think of tweeting as just kids getting up and saying, well, I yawned today and then I got out of bed and I thought about whether I wanted to go to school. We were all saying, who cares? And now I've probably tweeted since we started the show and even before 25 or 30 tweets about what I call the bun mo, the good words and words of wisdom coming out of the mouths of my three esteemed panelists, Alan F. Mendel, Jeff Donahue, and Brian Soper. So there. And we know that people all over the world will be reading and hopefully paying attention to what the three of you are saying because of social media. So let's turn to Brian Soper. Brian, a couple of interesting things here in your notes. Uh, We have plenty of time left. I'd like to talk about, let's see, do you want to talk about product as a service or the fact that 80% of a product cost is locked into the first 20% of the design? What's your pleasure, Brian? Oh, I think I'll stick with uh, product as a service. Good. Okay. Let me read your notes then more. I don't usually give the panelists these kind of options, but there's so much good content here, and I know we're not going to cover all of it, so I wanted to see where your where your heart is heading. So you say more and more manufacturing companies are evaluating, interesting point, evaluating a product-as-a-service concept for at least a portion of the business. This requires a very different business model and the need to redefine the term product. I'm going to stop there. Brian, why don't you expand that for us, please? 
Yeah, it's pretty exciting now with what technology allows the manufacturer to do. And I've worked with a number of customers, and and we'll look at GE aircraft engines and say, okay, well, they have this large capital product that they sell, which is this jet engine. Mm-hmm. And instead of selling the jet engine, they sell the thrust hours. And mm-hmm. so they own the capital. It stays on their books, and then, therefore, the maintenance and the repair and even the replacement falls on the shoulders of the manufacturer versus onto the customer, giving the customer a lot more flexibility in how they're going to spend their money and where they're going to focus their attention, kind of tying it back earlier. Where is their core uh, value proposition? And my guess is Delta isn't going to be focused on how do I maintain the engines. They'd much rather have someone else who built the engines take care of that for them. The, the exciting thing that I see is that technology is also pushing down into a much lower price scale. So I see that happening now in uh, air compressors, where we have companies that are saying, we're not going to sell the air compressor anymore, we're going to sell compressed air. And even down into paper products and cleaning supplies, where another customer may come back and say, look, my job is to make sure that your restrooms in your big facility are always going to be clean. They're always going to be well-stocked. And so you're paying me for the service versus the actual products that you would buy, the, the hand towels and the soap. And, and it pushes all that responsibility back on that manufacturer uh, now for logistics and transportation, monitoring, which brings in you know, an IoT slash um, reporting capability. And, and makes the company now focus on the end customer and saying, are we delivering the right experience versus, say, how do I deliver the right device? Interesting. Very interesting. Is, is this something that newer people in the manufacturing world are coming up with? They're looking like you, Brian. They know what's going on. Is this something that I'm going to use this advisedly? Nobody get mad at me. The old guard in longstanding manufacturing companies are saying, nah, that doesn't make any sense. We want to stick with our product line. Otherwise, it gets too crazy. Is, is there a mindset or a generational within the manufacturing professional, call it, Brian? Any observations on that? I don't know this, that I've seen way. a trend specifically based on industry or based by based on the old guard versus new guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it gets back to the the personality and the uh, culture of a specific company and saying, are we open to looking at things that we've never done before as opposed to saying we've always done it this way? So getting back to my original quote, if we've always done it this way, it's probably wrong. The companies mm-hmm. who can get past that statement or that quote and look at saying, we want to focus on changing our focus to what the customer needs versus internally focused, which is what it's been traditionally. The companies who are now focused on saying, what is the best way to deliver to that customer? And the customer now with cloud and all these other things, no one wants to be locked into a decision very long. And to react to that, manufacturers who are focused on the customer are saying, how do I provide more flexibility to, you know, if they want to swap jet engines more rapidly, they can. If they want to, you know, swap out air compressors more quickly, they can. You know, that's really the focus of, of what the industry is going after, and that's where, I see, that's where I see the uniqueness in who's making this call. Not an industry, not an age, but just the culture of a company. 
Thank you. Very, very good point. Alan Mendel, love to get your POV on this. Please join us. Yeah, it's, it's a great trend, um, and it really changes the whole business model for companies, uh, as well as it changes how you build your products. I mean, consider the fact that if you're building a jet engine and you sell that jet engine, you want certain criteria, certain performances, certain um, wear and tear and so forth, and then you give it to the customer, and then largely those companies would do the maintenance. So it's a different product stream for them. Now, if you're changing to from a product as a service, you're going to design your product differently because you're not going to design it to require as much maintenance because every time you have Mm -hmm. to put it out of service and put it in maintenance, you're losing your money. You're not gaining an additional maintenance fee for that. So it really changes the nature by which we think about products, how we develop products, and how we how we support those products in the marketplace. And I think it's an exciting trend, and, and I think it's the one that you'll see continue to expand in different areas, automotive, trucking, um, electronics potentially. I mean, I think you'll see it really drive because it also uh, changes the nature of how people buy products, especially from business perspective, moving it from uh, capital investment to expensive and, uh, that you can, you know, uh, write off every every month. That sounds pretty good to me. Let's get Jeff Donahue in here. Jeff, thoughts about product as a service? Any observations from your POV at Bunn or, or industry in general? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting, intriguing uh, topic, and it, and it does change the way you look at, you know, what are you supplying? Are you supplying a product that someone uh, can hold in their hand? Are you providing a solution? Are you providing uh, a service or, or, or all three? Uh, it's, it's very intriguing. And it does, I do think it changes, it has to change your perspective, your, your point of view. So if, if you're selling the service, then it does change how you're going to develop the product because you're going to be more in tune with um, the back end, if you will, of the, the life cycle of the, of the product. So I think it's very intriguing, very interesting. Um, and I, I also, you know, in, in this industry, we, we do some of this. We, we have our eye on service and have had for quite some time. Um, so, again, just very interesting. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Let me toss a, a phrase here into a couple of phrases into the mix. Uh, we have just about two minutes before we go to our crystal ball predictions round. This has been a very interesting conversation. Um, question, design thinking, innovation, ideation. Where do these come into play? We've talked about focusing on the customer. We've talked about the innovative concept of product as a service. We've talked about looking at the trends, looking at social media, analyzing social media. Is design thinking that something is something already on the radar? Is it important for manufacturers? And the idea of, oh, we used to call it brainstorming sessions. You get a bunch of people in the room and you say, hey, what do you think? And people come up with crazy ideas and you weed them down to the ones that are really viable. And then you put some muscle, some money and some power behind them and see what, what floats. Alan, quick thoughts. Design thinking, ideation, innovation. Uh, is this something that is part of the manufacturing process? Is there a, a lead of innovation in most manufacturing companies today? A position? Absolutely. I think certainly um, some of the terminologies change to the you know, we talk a lot about design thinking these days. We talk about concurrent engineering. We talk about in product innovation. I mean, these these concepts have been around for a long time, and uh, certainly some manufacturers are leading on the innovation side. Uh, others are more focused on operations, um, being able to provide me too products at a cheaper price, and other companies are focused on trying to. Pr- 
drive their innovation in their ability to, to provide a more customized product for one uh, customer of one. So I think you find innovation across many different axes. The question is, what is the key uh, differentiator for that particular manufacturer? Thank you very much. That's a thoughtful answer. Jeff Donahue, I'll give you just a couple seconds on that one, then we're going to quickly do a lightning round of predictions. Jeff, thoughts on design thinking? What do you do about it? What do you know about it? Well, yeah, I, um, so I kind of agree with Alan. In manufacturing, we've been doing some of these things for a long time. The terms change, uh, and that's usually a good thing because there's maybe a little bit of a, a spin on it as the as the term changes and as the cultures change. But uh, it's it's vitally important um, for new product de- for companies developing products with a new product development process to be in tune and to be to be brainstorming to to work with concurrent engineering um, to to find all the efficiencies they can in their processes but also up front how they ideate how they innovate is critical because almost every small to midsize and certainly every giant corporation they're they're competing globally now you're not competing with the guy in the next state or two states over we're mm-hmm. competing with somebody or, or some bodies all over the globe so you have to be quick you have to be um, uh, you have to innovate with aggression Innovate. Oh, I like that. Innovate with aggression. We've got to do a whole show around that one. Brian Soper, I give you 30 seconds for this one, then we're going to quickly go around for predictions. Agree or disagree? Design thinking, innovation, ideation, part of the success model for manufacturers. Brian? I think it's, it's a growing trend, and it's critical for where people go, right? Focus, as Alan's mentioned and others, you have to focus on your core competency. You need to understand where your consumers are going, and you need to get there quickly. Thank you. Well, that sounds like a working order and a tall one at that. Alan Mendel, I'm going to give you 30 seconds for your predictions. You know I always love the year 2020, but it's almost here. Hardly the future from from some of the mountaintops we're standing on right now. So what do you see how far in the future? What will change if we had this conversation again talking about orchestrating sustainable product innovation? Compose your symphony. Alan, go ahead. Well, I think what we'll see is a continued simplification uh, within the product innovation processes. I, I think some will even become more commoditized, means, meaning that uh, you'll see more best practice approaches from both software providers and, and uh, systems integrators um, that are going to help companies make that uh, make that make that leap. Um, I think companies will embrace more configure to order or variant options across their product lines to drive more uh, more of a competitive advantage and to remain more market relevant. Uh, and then lastly, I think uh, you'll see an increased use of predictive applications, uh, not just in maintenance areas, but that, that information will feed back to product design more than we ever expected. And I think we'll see tremendous uh, increases in better products. Thank you. Better products? I think exciting. I think somebody used the word exciting. I believe it was Jeff, uh, and that's what we want. Jeff Donahue, you're up. I can give you, oh, about 30 seconds for your predictions. Go fast. Yeah, you know, all these things that are happening, the Internet of Things, connected products, cloud data, social media, uh, you know, all of these things are kind of creating the perfect storm for manufacturers to have their hands on more data and more People, their customers, uh, their feelings—all you know—just very rapidly. Um, I think that's going to change over the next couple of years, and I think that's going to change uh, rapidly. I also think that the, the the concept of 
like crowdsourcing and open innovation mm-hmm. cha- are going to change the way manufacturers think. How do they resource? How do they use open innovation to not increase headcount but to get more ideas? So I think all those, th- all those things together are going to just drastically change the industry in the next couple of years. Great thoughts. Brian, you need to take that back to Rick Imber and Shane Ellis and get a new topic. I'd love to have the three of you back. Brian, I'll let you finish this up in uh, 20 seconds. Predictions go. I predict you're coming back on the show. Go ahead, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's exciting. I think companies are going to be focused on knowing their product from end to end. And today, I think a lot of people or companies stop focusing on their company or products when it's sold. And I think Mm -hmm. we come back here in two, three, four years, you're going to find that companies not only know what went into the product, but they know how it's been used. They know how long it was used, and they know how it was, you know, finally put into the into the recycle or landfill. Along with that, I think you're going to see terminology change from reporting. I think you're going to see monitoring, monitoring, and predicting much more vo- uh, vocal in your vocabulary than than the reporting term. Thank you very much. I'm going to stop you there, and I'm going to say thank you so much to Alan F. Mendel at LeverX, Jeff Donahue at Bunn, Brian Soper at SAP. Shout out to Rick Imber and team who sponsored this series at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Oh, come on. You know the drill. Go out and be a game changer today. I'll be back in one hour with a new episode of Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. You don't want to miss that one either right here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.